Chapter 2, Part 7 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds by Charles McKay. Volume 2, Chapter 2 The Witch Mania, Part 7. Eleven trials were instituted before Chief Justice Holt for witchcraft between the years 1694 and 1701. The evidence was of the usual character but Holt appealed so successfully in each case to the common sense of the jury that they were every one acquitted. A general feeling seemed to pervade the country that blood enough had been shed upon these absurd charges. Now and then the flame of persecution burnt up in a remote district, but these instances were no longer looked upon as mere matters of course. They appear, on the contrary, to have excited much attention, a sure proof if no other were to be obtained that they were becoming unfrequent a case of witchcraft was tried in seventeen eleven before lord chief justice powell in which however the jury persisted in a verdict of guilty though the evidence was of the usual absurd and contradictory character and the enlightened judge did all in his power to bring them to a right conclusion the accused person was one jane wenham better known as the witch of walkern and the persons who were alleged to have suffered from her witchcraft were two young women named thorne and street a witness named mr arthur chauncey deposed that he had seen anne thorne in several of her fits and that she always recovered upon prayers being said or if jane wenham came to her he related that he had pricked the prisoner several times in the arms but could never fetch any blood from her, that he had seen her vomit pins, when there were none in her clothes or within her reach, and that he had preserved several of them which he was ready to produce. The judge, however, told him that was needless, as he supposed they were crooked pins. Mr. Francis Bragg, another witness, deposed that strange cakes of bewitched feathers having been taken from Anne Thorne's pillow, he was anxious to see them. He went into a room where some of these feathers were, and took two of the cakes and compared them together. They were both of a circular figure, something larger than a crown piece, and he observed that the small feathers were placed in a nice and curious order at equal distances from each other, making so many radii of the circle, in the center of which the quill ends of the feathers met. He counted the number of these feathers, and found them to be exactly thirty-two in each cake. He afterwards endeavored to pull off two or three of them, and observed that they were all fastened together by a sort of viscous matter, which would stretch seven or eight times in a thread before it broke. Having taken off several of these feathers, he removed the viscous matter with his fingers, and found under it, in the center, some short hairs black and grey matted together which he verily believed to be cat's hair he also said that jane wenham confessed to him that she had bewitched the pillow and had practised witchcraft for sixteen years 
the judge interrupted the witness at this stage and said he should very much like to see an enchanted feather and seemed to wonder when he was told that none of these strange cakes had been preserved his lordship asked the witness why he did not keep one or two of them and was informed that they had all been burnt in order to relieve the bewitched person of the pains she suffered which could not be so well effected by any other means a man named thomas ireland deposed that hearing several times a great noise of cats crying and screaming about his house he went out and frightened them away and they all ran towards the cottage of jane wenham one of them he swore positively had a face very like jane wenham's another man named burville gave similar evidence and swore that he had often seen a cat with jane wenham's face upon one occasion he was in anne thorne's chamber when several cats came in and among them the cat above stated this witness would have favored the court with a much longer statement but was stopped by the judge who said he had heard quite enough the prisoner in her defense said nothing but that she was a clear woman the learned judge then summed up leaving it to the jury to determine whether such evidence as they had heard was sufficient to take away the prisoner's life upon the indictment after a long deliberation they brought in their verdict that she was guilty upon the evidence the judge then asked them whether they found her guilty upon the indictment of conversing with the devil in the shape of a cat the sapient foreman very gravely answered we find her guilty of that the learned judge then very reluctantly proceeded to pass sentence of death but by his persevering exertions a pardon was at last obtained and the wretched old woman was set at liberty in the year seventeen sixteen a woman and her daughter the latter only nine years of age were hanged at huntington for selling their souls to the devil and raising a storm by pulling off their stockings and making a lather of soap this appears to have been the last judicial execution in england from that time to the year seventeen thirty six the populace raised at intervals the old cry and more than once endangered the lives of poor women by dragging them through ponds on suspicion but the philosophy of those who from their position sooner or later give the tone to the opinions and morals of the poor was silently working a cure for the evil the fear of witches ceased to be epidemic and became individual lingering only in minds fettered by inveterate prejudice or brutalizing superstition in the year seventeen thirty six the penal statute of james i was finally blotted from the statute book and suffered no longer to disgrace the advancing intelligence of the country pretenders to witchcraft fortune-tellers conjurers and all their train were liable only to the common punishment of rogues and impostors imprisonment and the pillory in scotland the delusion also assumed the same phases and was gradually extinguished in the light of civilization as in england the progress of improvement was slow up to the year sixteen sixty five little or no diminution of the mania was perceptible in sixteen forty three the general assembly recommended that the privy council should institute a standing commission composed of any 
understanding gentlemen or magistrates to try the witches who were stated to have increased enormously of late years in sixteen forty nine an act was passed confirmatory of the original statute of queen mary explaining some points of the latter which were doubtful and enacting severe penalties not only against witches themselves but against all who covenanted with them or sought by their means to pry into the secrets of futurity or cause any evil to the life lands or limbs of their neighbors for the next ten years the popular madness upon this subject was perhaps more furious than ever upwards of four thousand persons suffered for the crime during that interval this was the consequence of the act of parliament and the unparalleled severity of the magistrates the latter frequently complained that for two witches they burned one day there were ten to burn the next they never thought that they themselves were the cause of the increase in a single circuit held at glasgow ayr and stirling in sixteen fifty nine seventeen unhappy creatures were burned by judicial sentence for trafficking with satan in one day november seventh sixteen sixty one the privy council issued no less than fourteen commissions for trials in the provinces next year the violence of the persecution seems to have abated from sixteen sixty two to sixteen sixty eight although the understanding gentlemen and magistrates already mentioned continued to try and condemn the high court of justiciary had but one offender of this class to deal with and she was acquitted james welsh a common pricker was ordered to be publicly whipped through the streets of edinburgh for falsely accusing a woman of witchcraft a fact which alone proves that the superior court sifted the evidence in these cases with much more care and severity than it had done a few years previously the enlightened sir george mackenzie styled by dryden the noble wit of scotland laboured hard to introduce this rule into court that the confessions of the witches should be held of little worth and that the evidence of the prickers and other interested persons should be received with distrust and jealousy this was reversing the old practice and saved many innocent lives though a firm believer both in ancient and modern witchcraft he could not shut his eyes to the atrocities daily committed under the name of justice in his work on the criminal law of scotland published in sixteen seventy eight he says quote, from the horridness of this crime i do conclude that of all others it requires the clearest relevancy and most convincing probature and i condemn next to the witches themselves those cruel and too forward judges who burn persons by thousands as guilty of this crime in the same year sir john clerk plumply refused to serve as a commissioner on trials for witchcraft alleging by way of excuse quote, that he was not himself good conjurer enough to be duly qualified end quote the views entertained by sir george mackenzie were so favourably received by the lords of session that he was deputed in sixteen eighty 
to report to them on the cases of a number of poor women who were then in prison awaiting their trial sir george stated that there was no evidence against them whatever but their own confessions which were absurd and contradictory and drawn from them by severe torture they were immediately discharged for the next sixteen years the lords of session were unoccupied with trials for witchcraft not one is entered upon the record but in sixteen ninety seven a case occurred which equalled in absurdity any of those that signalized the dark reign of king james a girl named christiana shaw eleven years of age the daughter of john shaw of bargaran was subject to fits and being of a spiteful temper she accused her maid-servant with whom she had frequent quarrels of bewitching her her story unfortunately was believed encouraged to tell all the persecutions of the devil which the maid had sent to torment her she in the end concocted a romance that involved twenty-one persons there was no other evidence against them but the fancies of this lying child and the confessions which Payne had extorted from them but upon this no less than five women were condemned before lord blantyre and the rest of the commissioners appointed specially by the privy council to try this case they were burned on the green at paisley the warlock of the party one john reed who was also condemned hanged himself in prison it was the general belief in paisley that the devil had strangled him lest he should have revealed in his last moments too many of the unholy secrets of witchcraft this trial excited considerable disgust in scotland the reverend mr bell a contemporary writer observed that in this business quote, persons of more goodness and esteem than most of their calumniators were defamed for witches end quote. he adds that the persons chiefly to blame were quote, certain ministers of too much forwardness and absurd credulity and some topping professors in and about glasgow end quote. after this trial there again occurs a lapse of seven years when the subject was painfully forced upon public attention by the brutal cruelty of the mob at Pittenween. Two women were accused of having bewitched a strolling beggar who was subject to fits, or who pretended to be so for the purpose of exciting commiseration. They were cast into prison and tortured until they confessed. One of them, named Janet Cornfoot, contrived to escape, but was brought back to Pittenween next day by a party of soldiers. On her approach to the town, she was unfortunately met by a furious mob, composed principally of fishermen and their wives, who seized upon her with the intention of swimming her. They forced her away to the seashore, and tying a rope around her body, secured the end of it to the mast of a fishing boat lying alongside in this manner they ducked her several times when she was half dead a sailor in the boat cut away the rope and the mob dragged her through the sea to the beach here as she lay quite insensible a brawny ruffian took down the door of his hut close by and placed it on her back the mob gathered large stones from the beach and piled them upon her 
till the wretched woman was pressed to death. No magistrate made the slightest attempt to interfere, and the soldiers looked on, delighted spectators. A great outcry was raised against this culpable remissness, but no judicial inquiry was set on foot. This happened in 1704. The next case we hear of is that of Elspeth Rule, found guilty of witchcraft before Lord Anstruther at the Dumfries Circuit in 1708. She was sentenced to be marked in the cheek with a red-hot iron and banished to the realm of Scotland for life. Again, there is a long interval. In 1718, the remote county of Caithness, where the delusion remained in all its pristine vigor for years after it had ceased elsewhere, was startled from its propriety by the cry of witchcraft. A silly fellow named William Montgomery, a carpenter, had a mortal antipathy to cats, and somehow or other these animals generally chose his backyard as the scene of their caterwaulings. He puzzled his brains for a long time to know why he, above all his neighbors, should be so pestered. At last, he came to the sage conclusion that his tormentors were no cats but witches. In this opinion, he was supported by his maid-servant, who swore a round oath that she had often heard the aforesaid cats talking together in human voices. The next time the unlucky tabbies assembled in his backyard, the valiant carpenter was on the alert. Arming himself with an axe, a dirk, and a broadsword, he rushed out among them. One of them he wounded in the back, a second in the hip, and the leg of a third he maimed with his axe, but he could not capture any of them. A few days afterwards, two old women of the parish died, and it was said that when their bodies were laid out, there appeared on the back of one the mark as of a recent wound, and a similar scar upon the hip of the other. The carpenter and his maid were convinced that they were the very cats, and the whole county repeated the same story. Everyone was upon the lookout for proofs corroborative. A very remarkable one was soon discovered. Nanny Gilbert, a wretched old creature of upwards of seventy years of age, was found in bed with her leg broken. As she was ugly enough for a witch, it was asserted that she also was one of the cats that had fared so ill at the hands of the carpenter. The latter, when informed of the popular suspicion, asserted that he distinctly remembered to have struck one of the cats a blow with the back of his broadsword which ought to have broken her leg. Nanny was immediately dragged from her bed and thrown into prison. Before she was put to the torture, she explained in a very natural and intelligible manner how she had broken her limb, but this account did not give satisfaction. The professional persuasions of the torturer made her tell a different tale, and she confessed that she was indeed a witch, and had been wounded by Montgomery on the night stated that the two old women recently deceased were witches also, besides about a score of others whom she named. The poor creature suffered so much by the removal from her own home, and the tortures inflicted upon her, 
that she died the next day in prison. Happily for the persons she had named in her confession, Dundas of Arniston, at that time the king's advocate general, wrote to the sheriff deputy, one Captain Ross of Littledean, cautioning him not to proceed to trial, the, quote, thing being of too great difficulty and beyond the jurisdiction of an inferior court, end quote. Dundas himself examined the precognition with great care, and was so convinced of the utter folly of the whole case that he quashed all further proceedings. We find this same sheriff deputy of Caitness very active four years afterwards in another trial for witchcraft. In spite of the warning he had received that all such cases were to be tried in future by the superior courts, he condemned to death an old woman at Dornoch, upon the charge of bewitching the cows and pigs of her neighbors. This poor creature was insane, and actually laughed and clapped her hands at sight of, quote, the bonny fire that was to consume her. She had a daughter who was lame both of her hands and feet, and one of the charges brought against her was that she had used this daughter as a pony in her excursions to join the devil's sabbath and that the devil himself had shod her and produced lameness this was the last execution that took place in scotland for witchcraft the penal statutes were repealed in seventeen thirty six and as in england whipping the pillory or imprisonment were declared the future punishments of all pretenders to magic or witchcraft. Still, for many years after this, the superstition lingered both in England and Scotland, and in some districts is far from being extinct even at this day. But before we proceed to trace it any further than to its legal extinction, we have yet to see the frightful havoc it made in continental Europe from the commencement of the 17th to the middle of the 18th century. France, Germany, and Switzerland were the countries which suffered most from the epidemic. The number of victims in these countries during the 16th century has already been mentioned, but at the early part of the 17th, the numbers are so great, especially in Germany, that were they not to be found in the official records of the tribunals, it would be almost impossible to believe that mankind could ever have been so maddened and deluded. To use the words of the learned and indefatigable Horst, quote, the world seemed to be like a large madhouse for witches and devils to play their antics in, end quote. Satan was believed to be at everybody's call to raise the whirlwind, draw down the lightning, blight the productions of the earth, or destroy the health and paralyze the limbs of man. This belief, so insulting to the majesty and beneficence of the Creator, was shared by the most pious ministers of religion. Those who in their morning and evening prayers acknowledged the one true God and praised Him for the blessings of the seed time and the harvest were convinced that frail humanity could enter into a compact with the spirits of hell to subvert his laws and thwart all his merciful intentions. Successive popes from Innocent VIII downwards promulgated this degrading doctrine, which spread so rapidly 
that society seemed to be divided into two great factions, the bewitching and the bewitched. The commissioners named by Innocent VIII to prosecute the witch trials in Germany were Jacob Sprenger, so notorious for his work on demonology, entitled The Malleus Maleficarum, or Hammer to Knock Down Witches, Henry Institor, a learned jurisconsult, and the Bishop of Strasbourg. Bamberg, Treves, Cologne, Paderborn, and Würzburg were the chief seats of the commissioners, who, during their lives alone, condemned to the stake, on a very moderate calculation, upwards of three thousand victims. The number of witches so increased that new commissioners were continually appointed in Germany, France, and Switzerland. In Spain and Portugal, the Inquisition alone took cognizance of the crime. It is impossible to search the records of those dark, but now happily non-existing tribunals, but the mind recoils with affright, even to form a guess of the multitudes who perished. The mode of trial in the other countries is more easily ascertained. Sprenger in Germany, and Bodinus and Del Rio in France, have left but too ample a record of the atrocities committed in the much-abused names of justice and religion. Bodinus, of great repute and authority in the seventeenth century, says, quote, The trial of this offense must not be conducted like other crimes. Whoever adheres to the ordinary course of justice perverts the spirit of the law, both divine and human. He who is accused of sorcery should never be acquitted, unless the malice of the prosecutor be clearer than the sun, for it is so difficult to bring full proof of this secret crime that out of a million of witches not one would be convicted if the usual course were followed." Henri Boguet, a witch-finder who styled himself the grand judge of witches for the territory of Saint-Claude, drew up a code for the guidance of all persons engaged in the witch trials, consisting of seventy articles, quite as cruel as the Code of Bodinus. In this document, he affirms that a mere suspicion of witchcraft justifies the immediate arrest and torture of the suspected person. If the prisoner muttered, looked on the ground, and did not shed any tears, all these were proofs positive of guilt. In all cases of witchcraft, the evidence of the child ought to be taken against its parent, and persons of notoriously bad character, although not to be believed upon their oaths on the ordinary occasions of dispute that might arise between man and man, were to be believed if they swore that any person had bewitched them. Who, when he hears that this diabolical doctrine was the universally received opinion of the ecclesiastical and civil authorities, can wonder that thousands upon thousands of unhappy persons should be brought to the stake, that Cologne should for many years burn its three hundred witches annually, the district of Bamberg, its four hundred, Nuremberg, Geneva, Paris, Toulouse, Lyon, and other cities there two hundred. A few of these trials may be cited, taking them in the order of priority as they occurred in different parts of the continent. In 1595, 
an old woman residing in a village near constance angry at not being invited to share the sports of the country people on a day of public rejoicing was heard to mutter something to herself and was afterwards seen to proceed through the fields towards a hill where she was lost sight of a violent thunderstorm arose about two hours afterwards which wet the dancers to the skin and did considerable damage to the plantations this woman suspected before of witchcraft was seized and imprisoned and accused of having raised the storm by filling a hole with wine and stirring it about with a stick she was tortured till she confessed and was burned alive the next evening city of lyon about the same time two sorcerers in toulouse were accused of having dragged a crucifix about the streets at midnight stopping at times to spit upon and kick it and uttering at intervals an exorcism to raise the devil the next day a hailstorm did considerable damage to the crops and a girl the daughter of a shoemaker in the town remembered to have heard in the night the execrations of the wizards her story led to their arrest the usual means to produce confession were resorted to the wizards owned that they could raise tempests whenever they pleased and named several persons who possessed similar powers they were hanged and then burned in the marketplace and seven of the persons they had mentioned shared the same fate hoppo and stadlin two noted wizards of germany were executed in fifteen ninety nine they implicated twenty or thirty witches who went about causing women to miscarry bringing down the lightning of heaven and making maidens bring forth toads to this latter fact several girls were found to swear most positively stadlin confessed that he had killed seven infants in the womb of one woman bodinus highly praises the exertions of a witch-finder named nider in france who prosecuted so many that he could not calculate them some of these witches could by a single word cause people to fall down dead others made women go with child three years instead of nine months while others by certain invocations and ceremonies could turn the faces of their enemies upside down or twist them round to their backs although no witness was ever procured who saw persons in this horrible state the witches confessed that they had the power and exercised it nothing more was wanting to ensure the stake at amsterdam a crazy girl confessed that she could cause sterility in cattle and bewitch pigs and poultry by merely repeating the magic words turius und churius inturius she was hanged and burned another woman in the same city named cornelis van purmerund was arrested in consequence of some disclosures the former had made a witness came forward and swore that she one day looked through the window of her hut and saw cornelis sitting before a fire muttering something to the devil she was sure it was to the devil because she heard him answer her shortly afterwards twelve black cats ascended out of the floor and danced on their hind legs around the witch 
for the space of about half an hour. They then vanished with a horrid noise and leaving a disagreeable smell behind them. She also was hanged and burned. End of chapter 2, part 7 Recording by Linda Johnson